Hello and welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard, led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and the point of convergence for the greatest minds. Your virtual university is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation in partnership with the Multimedia Group and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank, with support from the graphic business. So our series on the engine room has become a must-watch for many because it has taken us behind the scenes with frontliners in academia, arts and entertainment, the media, ministry, the corporate life, and several other fields of endeavor, trying to find out what we wouldn't find in any publication or recording. If you have missed any of these exciting discussions, find them on my YouTube page, Albert Okran. So, my guest today in the engine room has over 25 years of experience, corporate experience, in diverse industries. She's a chartered insurer, a certified award-winning HR professional, a coach, and a fellow of the Africa Leadership Initiative, where she is with Comfort and I. My guest, Dr. Hazel Berard. I'm Hazel, good to see you. Reverend. You're looking great. Thank you. I'm sure there's so much to thank God for. Too much. Good, good. So you just released a book not too long ago called Winning the Jungle. And that has caught my attention because today's show gets to do a two-part. We will look at your life, the engine room of your life in the first part. And the second part I can't wait to have is a discussion about the corporate engine room. What you would never find out or you will find out sometimes too late at great cost to your career. And we'll tap into your experience to bring answers to people who are asking questions about why is there so much corporate politics? Why don't I understand why I was not taken in the interview? We'll find out what people need to know about the corporate life. But let's start with your journey. Give us an, a sense of, you've, you've, you've done quite some mileage in different industries. Let's find out about the genesis of your corporate journey and the twists and turns, the Exodus, Leviticus, and maybe the Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> My career at British American Tobacco Ghana, it was in Takradi then, and that was where I was living. So I started there as an intern, temp for a contract with the National Service. Very interesting foundation. And I think what I learned in BAT is is what really helped me to be able to grow my career. The discipline, the competencies, the leadership foundation, the people, and the very culture of the organization gave me a very good footing for my career. Afterwards, I moved to Tico CMSI as first head of HR job. Another very interesting experience in terms of taking leadership to drive a function and be part of an executive committee. Then I was headhunted to move to Central West Africa Nestle, headquartered in Accra, 
at the time my ex-husband had moved to Accra, so it was quite a good step for me to also relocate to Accra with my two very young children. Nestle was an amazing experience. 22 countries, diverse cultures, diverse people, a full end-to-end company manufacturing, making all kinds of products from beverages to spices to baby food, everything nutrition. Nestle had a very serious eye on quality and still has an eye on quality. I learned so much in Nestle. I think the biggest jump from BAT in my career in terms of leap was in Nestle. I was there for about 10 years, almost 10 years. Varied experiences, projects, training programs, mentorship, coaching, falling and rising, you know, experiencing all kinds of things, dealing with serious diversity really, really opened my eyes to what a real world-class company expects when it comes to landscape for where people should work and how people should behave. So Nestle was fantastic. Then I moved to Old Mutual, then that's where I got my insurance experience. So Old Mutual was another wonderful transition. Um, first week, first month, my former boss said to me, you have to have a chartered insurance certification. I'm thinking, I have a PhD, I have a master's certification. Why do I need this? He says to me, he says, I think you can be general manager one day. Get that in the bag, we'll help you. Besides, it's about understanding your business. So we've moved from FMCG energy, just do it. So we had a bet, actually, to just do the Chartered Insurance Certification. So I did a search on it. Um, diploma was being run in Ghana by the Insurance College. And Advanced Diploma then was only in London. So I decided to register for both at the same time. So I was doing Advanced alongside the local one, the Diploma. So I was able to manage and finish both in record time. Wow. Then after Old Mutual, I left for a short stint with NESC. Then I joined Guinness. And Guinness was another interesting experience about celebrating lives. So most people think Guinness is about making just alcohol. Guinness makes other non-alcoholic drinks. Malta Guinness, Alvaro, just to mention a few. And for me, the experience in Guinness was particularly very, very rewarding because Guinness gives you a platform for you to really navigate through a very high sense of ownership of what you own as a functional head. So if you are a director in Guinness, you learn what directorship is end to end. So Guinness was another very interesting experience. And celebrating life is how we operate in Guinness. So it's not like we're having a party every day, but we encourage a very strong culture where you come to work and you're in a fun, happy environment, yet delivering on very strong KPIs and very high targets. So Guinness gave me that as well till I left for Danone. I was in Danone for a very short period and set transition to do something quite different. So here I am today. Um, looking forward to different opportunities, wanting to leverage more insurance and building other proficiencies in my life. It's a beautiful story. It tells so nicely. You make, you make, you, you make people want to work because you <laughs> describe different organizations. And I am I, I, particularly interested in the fact that you describe not the downside or the bad sides of where you worked, but the learnings and what there is to celebrate about these organizations. Is it, is it wrong? Is it a problem for people when they leave an organization to focus only on what their regrets were or what did not work while they were there? I think people have different experiences and different responses to issues. You call it a beautiful story, but I've had a lot of challenges also. So 
is about how you perceive your challenges, how you interpret your challenges and how you decide whether there will be lessons or things that will pull you down. I learned from my various readings and experiences that lessons when you fall actually springboards for your next level of success. It is not wrong to even leave an organization if you think there's an opportunity for you to grow and become better or you know, have a different experience. Um, sometimes as human institutions there will be certain things that are not very comfortable not because of the company but the people who could be your peers your subordinates or even your line managers and there's a popular thing about people leaving jobs not because of the company but their line managers so I mean um, if you leave a company and you are full of regret I like people to also think about the opportunity to even work in the first place and do a balance sheet of the opportunities, the benefits versus the regrets. And oftentimes you realize that if you really introspect and take each moment and what it brought to you, oftentimes, even though you could have a lot of pain, you would have a lot of blessing also in the same institution. And for the purpose of growth and moving forward in life, it's always better to focus on the positives more than the negatives. And that's what I try to do with my life. It's not been very rosy in my journey, even to date, but the positives help me to look forward to the future. I, I look at you and you describe working in a number of multinational companies. You've been exposed at the very highest level. You mentioned a foundation that gave you a chance to what they, they call they call what they call in some of these multinationals um, quick achievers. I mean, they identify the people who have the potential to be to be, to be great and they push them on the fast track lane and it's almost like you hit the ground running in your career and you've had exposure to the very best of the multinational environment at the highest leadership level ostensibly at a very young age I'm looking at you and I'm asking what are the challenges that come with a woman trying to push through what they crack the glass ceiling achieve at the highest level are there peculiar challenges that come with somebody like you who succeeds very early in the corporate space and just keeps driving from strength to strength? Are there peculiar challenges? There are. There's yeah. always competition for male counterparts. And, you know, some male counterparts make it so obvious. They would never talk about it verbally. But the attitude shows that, you know, they think they're being quote-unquote favored. Um, one of the things I'd say, though, is that ultimately... Performance and potential are always the key drivers in places where I've worked. So if you are a lady and you're performing very well and you show potential, definitely you'll catch somebody's attention. Other things that have helped also have been volunteering, showing keen interest, being curious to take on projects and, you know, step out of your comfort zone. So if you have a job description, you're doing something in particular and there are cross-functional opportunities for you to work with different team members from different functions or different subsidiaries or different countries where you find yourself take on the challenge you will learn so much from those opportunities i've learned so much from people from different nationalities different you know um, companies in the same group different functions i've learned so much i've made the most amazing friends i mean at the book launch for example where you were you realized that there was a picture of myself and a lot of people from nestle they're like family and i i, I saw the, the the wide array of people from different industries that exactly. came to celebrate your work. Exactly. So, I mean, it's about relationships and how you carry yourself about 
you would offend somebody at work. I mean, we are human beings. You know, you'd offend somebody in any enterprise. But how to repair the offense is very important. Apologize when you are wrong. Seek for an opportunity for you to air your views. If somebody offends you, bring it to their attention because there are times that it's not even deliberate. Or it's on their blind side or it's a perceived error. So openly talk about them. And I learned to do that. To have tough conversations, very painful tough conversations. Sometimes you'd have really stepped on somebody's toe. You're subordinate or your peer in ways you never intended, but have really cut someone really very deeply. How do you, you know, come to face that error on your part and say, you know what, I'm really sorry. And sorry really disarms you and disarms the person. This morning, I went for a ride in Tema with a young lad that I ride with sometimes. And a taxi driver crossed a police officer who was in plain clothes. So the police officer managed to stop him. And the moment he opens the door of the taxi driver's door, the taxi officer, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What would have ended a slap on his face or a rare reprimand was just the man saying, be careful, don't do that again. And that's the power of apology. To say sorry when you are definitely wrong. Or even if you're not wrong, but you have offended in your way of carrying out things. Apologize for how you went about things. And then try to bring correction when it's necessary. Because there are times you have to correct somebody. Peer, subordinate, or even your leader. But the approach is very important. That's why I talk about emotionally often in the things that I have learned. So the approach is very important. But I think those are the things that have helped me. You mentioned tough conversations and you mentioned relationships. That brings me to an issue that I've always wanted to ask you. Because of a recent development, I, um, observing an interview that Comfort had with another very successful career woman. You are the ultimate career woman and you are divorced. And I want to find out from you, um, is it difficult to be successful in your career and married? Well, a lot depends on the woman. So let me start with myself before I celebrate women who have kept it all together. Most times, if you really look at divorce cases very well, I'm looking at my own divorce case. Let's forget about who did something wrong and let's look at compatibility. Because I think compatibility is the heart of any relationship. I met my ex-husband at a very young age and we were the best of friends. We grew apart in our marriage and we became no longer compatible. And that was when we began to have problems. And in any relationship, whether it's marriage or otherwise, once there's no compatibility, you have problems because communication breaks down. What you mean to do and your intentions are always misinterpreted. So we went through that. What I'm thankful for today, as a Christian and as a woman, as a mother of my children, is that I have a very good relationship with him. We talk, we chat. It was an easy journey to get to that point, but I'm proud of myself, I'm proud of him, and I'm proud of my children that today we can talk. And let me celebrate my senior women and colleagues. Let, let, let me pause and celebrate you for what you just did. <laughs> I've never in my whole life heard anyone say it like you have done right now. You say it didn't work. With the benefit of hindsight, we started out as great friends, but we grew apart. And looking back, now we are great friends. I mean, we've moved on with our lives. I celebrate him. I celebrate myself. I celebrate my children. Obi and Kabi, I've never faith <laughs> <heard>. over. <laughs> While it is regrettable, I think you, you've, you've put it in a beautiful yeah. way. And I have tons of questions about <laughs> it, but that's what I suggest for today. But go ahead and celebrate those who yes. you mentioned. So I have great women friends, some of them are senior to me, some of them are my peers, some of them are subordinates or junior to me when it comes to experience and work, who have kept marriage, family and career together. 
in my experience, it takes a very supportive spouse. And again, compatibility and conversations at home. When you are carrying your spouse along with you on your career journey, you talk about your successes at work, your failures, your challenges. Like any other issue at home, your spouse will definitely support you. It's how you carry the person along. And I've learned through this. And I've observed women who are very successful, who have, some of them have men or spouse who are even lower in rank or in the eyes of society to them. But the men are so supportive to the point where you don't even pay attention to the difference between the woman's career and what the man is doing because they're supposed to be one, right? So, so, you, so what you describe will seem to suggest that society or culturally there is no problem when there's, there's, there's a gap clearance, dissonance between the man's achievements and the woman's achievements. The problem arises when the woman is advancing their career and the man is behind. It's a common challenge. Right. And, and the woman I speak to... Some manages yeah. so well you won't even notice. Exactly. How do you think they do it? Bottom line is, these women that I've spoken to, some of them are my friends, they consciously make sure they never tout their achievements in a way that offends their spouse. You understand? My key belief is that we rise because of grace. Hmm? Yes, human effort, because God gives you the grace and the talents. But let's be careful how we downgrade other people when God has blessed us and given us an opportunity. A very common mistake young women make, or women who are rising makers, to begin to downgrade their spouse, forgetting that at some point he helped them through their journey to move up, the sacrifice when they had to probably travel, do courses, work late nights, and husband taking care of kids or supporting them, women often forget that support. So all the women who have been very successful in keeping husband, children, family life, and corporate life together have had that balance. I see very strong corporate women who even make it a point to cook at least over weekends for their spouses. I'm not saying that cooking necessarily is a woman's job, but we are Africans. And if your spouse loves to eat your, eat your food, make time to do that for him. Don't delegate things that your spouse enjoys to do to another person to do for you because you begin to lose your spouse. Remember, it's not about the taste of the food, but it's the fact that you are doing it for them. The same way women like men to do certain things for them. The little things that you use to enjoy together as a couple, when you begin to have acceleration in your career, don't let go of them. You lose your spouse. And you call that the consciousness. A conscious. You have to be deliberate and intentional about it. Look, I have younger friends who are in their early 40s, who have young families, three, four children, great careers. And they will tell me, man, son, when it comes to the kitchen, I was For those of you who don't speak Fanti. I was going to say that. <laughs> when it comes to the kitchen, I won't delegate that to anybody. If it means that I'll get my house girl to cut my vegetables for me, let her cut, but I'll do the cooking because I think when it comes to making meals for my family, I have to do it. Now, that journey is because perhaps the husband prefers for her to do it for the family. And I know other couples where the couple take turns in cooking or doing house chores, and that has also worked. So there are varied stories. The most important thing is for you to look at your peculiar situation and make sure the things that will put your partner off you avoid to turn them on because once they are put off, even if they're not having an affair or moving out of the house, you lose them in your own home. Let me ask a question. So let's look at a situation where 
what the partner prefers is not practical. Mm-hmm. So let's take a woman like you. I mean, if I use you, your kind of work. I mean, but for COVID and, and the, the changing world of work, you typically could come home at 9 p.m. Some days. And on some days, not because you want to. I mean, if you're a banker, if you, are, you have to balance your books at the end of every day, you're coming home sometimes three hours after your husband has closed. Now, I met somebody who says, how can you say you can't eat food that is in the freezer? I mean, how can you? So, in situations like that, while you want to compromise, while you want to make some concessions, what the person is asking for may not be practical. Conversations, and this is, I like the example. It's very typical. And I get young women coming to me to ask for solutions to that. I always say, talk to your husband. Let him understand what you go through. And sometimes women come to me crying that husbands are watching football. They come home much later than they do. Don't even mind the baby watching football. Husbands have to learn to support their wives. And the interesting thing is women, most women, use everything they have to support the home. I always say that if you treat a woman nicely, she'll give you her paycheck. Without thinking, because women are givers naturally. I'm, we are. Treating, I'm treating you very nicely. You haven't given me anything. Okay, we're not married. Or you treat your spouse. Even if you treat women, so I'm treating you well. So you give me your paycheck. I'll be very happy if you did. <laughs> but ultimately, I mean, if if you marry a woman and you treat her nicely, she gives of her best. Because look, and I, I'll use myself. No, no woman wants to be married and be divorced. We don't go in to get divorced. It's circumstances. I didn't get married to be divorced. And before I went through a divorce, it was a very painful transition. The reflections about it, the considerations, before that decision, you know, young children, even what society thinks. And if I talk about my parents who have been married for over 50 years, I'm breaking family tradition. Did you feel, did you, feel you had let them down? Oh, I knew I'd let them down. Oh, I knew I'd let my parents down. Because the first I wanted to get divorced, my, my father and my mother called my ex-husband's family to say, let's help solve this problem. Let's help them understand that we are here to support. If there's anything wrong, they won't be there first. They should patch them, their problems and move on. So the, the time I actually moved out of my home, I didn't tell my parents. I moved out and then said to them, I'm going to see you guys in Takwadi next week and we'll talk about something very important. You fully did it for yourself. I had to. This is Springboard of Virtual University. A beautiful conversation with my sister Hazel Baird Amwa, Dr. Hazel Baird Amwa, trying to just understand the engine of her life. And she's been very gracious in telling us the ins and outs of her professional journey. Some beautiful things to say about where she's worked various reputable organizations. But she's also done the, the coup de grace. The icing on the cake, using her own experience to share some lessons, including the golden triangle that everyone must look at. The triangle of your work or your career, your marriage and your children and the skill it takes for women in particular to hold it all together. We'll go for a brief break to say thank you to our partners, MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, and the Graphic Business. When we come back, Hazel will help us to understand now the corporate engine room. How can a person be disqualified from a chief accountant's interview for body odor? Please don't go away. <laughs>
Don't be left out. Download the MTN Pulse app from the App Store or Play Store to mash up all day, every day. You can also enjoy more mashup. Just buy the new Mega Bundle and get 3 gigabytes data, extra 400 megabytes for your social apps, and free MTN to MTN calls every Monday. So just go ahead, feel the pulse on MTN Pulse. Just be. We're good together everywhere you go. From tabletop trader to supermarket owner. As Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. UMB was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products, and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we are poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. From football fans to football star. At Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties, so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. Bonjour tout le monde. I am Janet Sunko Mills. There is no other place on this planet to learn than Springboard. I love the engine room for various reasons. And today we've been having a beautiful journey with Dr. Hazel Berard and we are helping us to understand the engine room of her life and transitioning into the corporate engine room. Lessons about adaptation, about foundations, about diversity, about the power of apology, about the golden triangle and a big lesson about divorce and about successful corporate women. Hazel, you mentioned volunteering. It caught my attention. <laughs> it's something that is being touted as a probable access point for people seeking to advance their careers. You mentioned volunteering in cross-functional opportunities. Help us to understand that one. Oftentimes in the multinational world, you have projects coming through. These projects are a blessing in these guys. Because first of all, the companies always have options to hire consulting firms or to outsource on a short-term basis or bring, you know, experts to do it. In some of the companies you have worked, you realize that when these opportunities arise, you have young people or some individuals like myself raising their hand to say I'll be part of this. And this has been a very good opportunity to grow because you have a project, timelines are tight, expectations and KPIs are so high, so you have the chance to stretch yourself and you don't stretch alone, you stretch with other people. And the beautiful part about volunteering for this project is the team dynamics. So diverse people with different backgrounds, sometimes culturally, functionally, temperament, capability, bringing different to the table, different ideas. So even if you think you know it all, or you 
pride yourself as being a good talent, you realize in those projects that there is so much to learn from other people. Did they open doors for you? Oh, a lot of doors. One of the biggest ones that I'm so happy about, I talk about at almost every interview, is what was titled The Change Journey in Nestle. So I was doing my second master's in organizational development. I'm in the corridor with my market head who was going for a cup of coffee. He looks stressed that I just cracked the joke. Why are you looking so stressed out? Is it because you just came from Switzerland? He said, yeah, the numbers were not good. So we began to talk and he was a very open person. So as we spoke about it, I quickly applied something I was learning in school that week to him and said, but I've learned this about school. If we tackle this problem, looking at the human diversity that we have in our business, perhaps it could be a springboard to the solution. He says, okay, give me a paper on Wednesday. This is Monday. And I'm thinking, what have I landed myself into? So I go home and I sit and I begin to write a few thoughts, which are more theoretical than practical. Then I began to think about the complexity of our 22, which is the diversity as well, and the opportunities. The paper was presented to him and my HR director for the region. And bingo, I was asked to drive that project. I didn't drive it alone. I drove it with people across the region. Superiors, peers, subordinates, the exposure was massive. The confidence to step out and share your ideas, the confidence to talk to superior and say, I mean, I'm just learning from even the engagement, the, the style of engagement. You look at the superior. Do we even need to know for people who are beginning their careers what to say when you meet a senior in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lounge, in, in the restaurant? In the, are these things people must learn about the corporate they jungle? Should. They should. So I believe in two things. Respect is very important and how you carry yourself about. So be bold, but be respectful. And in the multinational environment, for example, it's about open door policies, about transparency, about accessibility. So whilst you are being bold, the way you go about it, your body language, your verbal communication, and moving beyond you know, the African not keeping eye contact, to keeping eye contact because cross-culturally, um, eye contact is a foundation of trust and integrity. So if you're always having shifty gazes, it's, it gives the impression that you have something to hide. So eye contact, boldness, keeping a friendly, a friendly face, smiling, and just being very polite actually opens doors. And when you show up professionally in that way, you have the right manners, the right you know, um, etiquette and everything, you catch somebody's attention. And if all things have been called by God's grace, you're also doing more than average in your job. Come on. The doors will open. I had a very funny experience <laughs> training a group of executives from, from a West African country not too long ago. And the, the person was talking about an interview that he missed out on. And he says, in that interview when he went, I was waiting for them to ask the engineering question. And I was rehearsing the question in my mind. And the person who was being interviewed, I said, let's go for a cup of tea. And they went for the cup of tea, and the person was asking them, how was the tea? And he says he was just chewing the engineering solutions in his head. And so he just took a cool. He didn't bother to answer. And there was this guy who just was engaging about the tea and about the coffee and about Arabica and the scent of the coffee. Absolutely. And he says he was just waiting. After the tea, they relaxed out there, and the guy asked them to describe the environment. And they said the interview was over. Yes. Is it not unfair? It's very fair, and I like to do that. I've done that several times in my life. I've had coffee, I've had tea, I've had a walk with people to do the interviews. I don't like the interview where you have to sit and ask questions behind the desk with papers. But and the question never came. The guy said the question never came. No, it's it not was about, about coffee. Because all things being equal, you're a qualified engineer. If you've had a first class, second class from KNUST, 
Are you not qualified technically or functionally? So the rest is your behavior, your attitude, how you can blend and live and engage with people. Because at the end of the day, it's about teamwork. No institution in 21st century preaches silo work. You want to break down silos, so you want to just be a technocrat. When ultimately people are looking for technically qualified people who can become leaders and manage their resources and being able to articulate and express yourself and have interpersonal skills and break barriers and speak to just anybody. So, so, so the interviews are often not looking at your technical competence? Hardly, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, when I do interviews, for example, I don't like to test your competence as a technical person unless it's a transition to a different environment. I have to test how you're going to transfer those skills to that environment. Otherwise, everything else is soft skills. Communication, how you take feedback, how you manage conflict, how you lead, how you have managed waste, and how you have even talked about your failures. So the humility to say that, okay, this is my flaw, and I'm coming to this organization, help me fix this, gives an advantage. So back to the tea conversation, how is the tea? You could have said, not hot enough, or too hot, or the tea has gone bad. And that would have been feedback to the person asking to think, he speaks his mind. He doesn't always have to sing praise. He can actually criticize. Oh, the weather. How he's able to assess the weather. And even talk about yesterday's weather and maybe tomorrow's weather and how the weather is now in Ghana, if Ghana was a, was a location. So putting all of that into context, the, the today experience, the yesterday experience, and the forecast for tomorrow. <laughs> the person knows you're a forward thinker. Hazel, I met this guy who was totally broken by an interview that he didn't make it on. I was on the panel. I knew why he wasn't taking he was a first-class student, chartered accountant for a job of chief accountant, by far the best qualified person technically for the job. But the interview didn't focus on accounting issues. There was no question about balance sheets, about P&L, about the cash flow. And the ultimate is that he was disqualified for, guess what, body odor. And he wasn't told, because the discussion was after he had left, what should people know about some of these decisions that are made concerning your future that you may not know and you may repeat the same mistake over and over again in the selection, approval, promotion process? Talk to us. Interesting. Um, we need to give feedback to such people. So body order is a disqualifier because, again, you work in a silo. You work with people. And now that you'll agree that Sometimes we switch off because of order. I mean, it can actually make you black out. I'm like, you don't even hear what the person is saying because the, the smell actually overwhelms you. And we can laugh about it, but that's a very serious issue. Think about it. If somebody has, or if there's a very bad smell in this room, we can't concentrate anymore. So imagine a chief accountant. This is a very serious position. Some school travels across the world. Exactly. And you have body order. It means that you will disengage your peers. People have to collaborate. Your stakeholders cannot engage with you because they are put off. By your very aura. So, halitosis, body odor, how we carry ourselves about. These are very serious issues. Even people who drink a lot and have hangovers have a certain peculiar smell that they bring to work. People who smoke a lot and don't clean up afterwards. These are put-offs. You know, I mean, they really, really have an impact in the boardroom. So, when you're promoting an individual, once upon a time I worked in a company where even table manners was critical for a chief executive officer. Table manners, grooming. So you'd have people who are very talented um, in their functional expertise, in their leadership competence, in their management competence. They are very qualified, but the hygiene factors, 
the manners, sometimes how we are even raised, you're not properly groomed. That's why I believe in executive grooming. You know, we need to invest and give people feedback. And if we want to really give them a chance, especially if they are in our pipeline already, let's get them to be properly groomed. You know, right. recently a lot of young men keep beards. And I don't have anything against the beard. But once you have a lot of hair, not only for women who have, you know, wigs and all kinds of hairs like mine, the hygiene factors are very important. The beard can also give off a very bad odor if you don't keep it clean or if you don't, you know, trim it properly and give it the right attention. So the grooming aspect is very, very important. We have to give people feedback if those are the inhibitors to their, you know, opportunities in the career space. Right. Let me go to influence peddling. Do, do people, I mean, these are things people won't talk about in, on radio and on television, but do people who are competing for promotion, competing for appointment, try to influence the panel, try to call you at night and say, I hear you be on the panel, please give me a chance. Do people do that? They do. T- tell us about it. They do. So, I mean, across industry, different organizations, big, small, international, local, you'd always have somebody who would try to influence, if it's not them directly, somebody who knows them and knows you, would call and say, Albert is coming for this role. Charlie, can you help him? Or please help him. Albert is my so-and-so, please help him. That happens. Others would even try to influence you. Financially? Yes. I've had that several times. So what do you do? I mean, it's a clear no. It's about integrity. Because the thing about such issues is you would compromise yourself, and then root and vouch for somebody who cannot do the job. But if you go in there clean with your integrity, your professional ethics, and then you are very objective in how you assess things, you can say it as it is because you have been objective and truth the course for which you've been put on a panel. So these are very critical things that happen. And influencing is, is real in the corporate world. I mean, there's no discounts that at all. Do, do they threaten sometimes? <laughs> I've had rates before especially when it's a godfathering situation so within industry or within the same company if you have godfathers if the person has godfathers and great grandfathers in the business and they want you to put them ahead of another person you know they could ask you and they threaten that if you don't you will know that there are other conversations I've had that before what happened I mean, without giving us the details what did you do you know I believe in one thing and I believe in it so boldly. Wherever I am, like now, it's because of destiny. I'm supposed to be sitting on this chair at this point. Not an hour before, not so an hour later. So you don't fear God for this? No, I don't. Tell me about it. I mean, the God and the grandfathers. God has put you there. And if God wants me to be on this seat and you try to influence me, you can't get me out. And times where I've actually even had to leave because I've been uncomfortable with certain things. I've come to the point of feeling so comfortable because I know there's a better door, there's a blessing that I'm walking into. You get it? So, I don't fear Godfathers, and I'm not bluffing. In all humility, because wherever I'm supposed to be has been determined by the man who made me. God made me and give, has given me my next step. And he's guarding where I'm supposed to be jealously for my own good. So if somebody's trying to threaten me because I'm not playing ball unethically, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not faced by that at all. Yeah, but I'm scared about what you're saying because there's somebody else who may not have the level of confidence that Hazel Berard has and may therefore give in because this grandfather or godfather or godmother threatening you may also have the power to make a decision about your own future. 
how do you handle in a society that's very patriarchal, very societal, very communal, very how do you handle the pressure when it gets overbearing and they begin to call others to talk to you and call your parents to advise you, your pastor to advise you? At what point do you say, listen, how, how do you handle those pressures? Professional ethics, you really have to, in all humility, express why you cannot go that route and encourage whoever they are rooting for to do their best. So just say, tell your person to really be very prepared and show what they can deliver. Because they don't qualify. Ultimately, in the long run, all of us are accountable and we will look like, you know, not very wise people in rooting for somebody who was clearly not, not qualified. I've often had some cases, especially in the public sector, where sometimes the appointment has been given to the number, the person was number five, and not number one, two, three, or four. And there have been reasons why, because somebody asked them to be placed there. A few cases in this country, there have been embarrassingly huge failures. You know, so when you go behind the scenes of why somebody has failed in leadership, you realize that they were not even the best candidate. And guess what? Again, I talk about destiny. Those who could have been denied or have been denied those positions ended up in seemingly even bigger positions in other enterprises. This is in Ghana. I don't want to call out names, but I'm aware of these because of my profession and, you know, the network I have where number fives are given opportunities rather than number one, two, three, or four. So you're saying that for those who are on the wrong end of the stick in terms of decisions being made in favor of others instead of for you, you have a word of assurance for them? Yes. yes. What would you tell them? Oh, for, for me, I mean, I, I keep encouraging people. It can be very painful, it can be very emotional. Very painful. I encourage you to Especially when somebody tells you on the panel that, you know what, you were the best candidate, but this person knew this person and therefore they got a job. How does it feel? Um, when somebody has said that to me, because I've had that before, I was number two. And then um, when the feedback was being given to me, I actually said, you know what, can you just say it to me as it is because I can just filter what you're telling me. And I remember where I was. I was driving home, right at um, where the Cocoa Junction it was the traffic had shown red. And when I saw the call, I thought, oh, yes, I mean, Friday night, I'm going to get the nod that, you know, put your resignation and let's start working. I, I literally couldn't even move my car for a minute because I was very disappointed when I, when I had the news. Later, it was a blessing because I moved on to something much bigger and more exciting. But context-wise, obviously, and I'm not saying this because I think I'm special, but it was obvious that there was a certain influence in that decision. That particular person who had a job is still enrolled, doing great. And that was just one of those opportunities where somebody can select because it was number one, number two. I mean, the difference was not that much from what I was told. But I personally believe that I was working to something bigger and better. But it can be a very unfortunate situation. What if I wasn't working to something bigger and better? Or what if I didn't understand the dynamics then? And I felt very disappointed and, you know, probably lost my confidence to think that I'm not good enough because even if I'm better than the cabinet, why wasn't I taking it? Why couldn't circumstances still favor me? You know, but that wasn't the case. And these things are really very real. That is why even to date, I get calls, I get inbox messages on LinkedIn to say, can you help me get this job? And I ask, but there's going to be an interview, there's a vacancy. But people still believe that there's a certain hand that can influence Is it cultural? Very cultural. Very cultural. It's very cultural. It's an African way of doing things. But also in corporate setting, multinationals, again, godfathering, grandfathering, it still happens. So it's both cultural from our African way of doing things and cultural from the corporate sense. And it's part of being a human institution to always happen. Let's go to discrimination. Mm. 
perceptions, do you find that sometimes, just because you are so young and you are on ex school, people see your position as a borrowed position, almost like if you are if you are lucky to be here, just just occupy the seat and and and, and be part of the table. It, that does happen to you because you are you're young, or because you are Ghanaian, because you are African, because you are because you've been exposed quite a bit. So I, I, you, you qualify to be asked this question: Do you face discrimination, perceptions, assumptions because you are a woman, because you are young, comparatively, or because you are African or because you are Ghanaian? I've had the African one. I've had the African one, and I've had the label the young African girl. I mean, Tell me about when you have a label, the young African girl, obviously, is like, oh, you're just lucky to be part of us. Um, in that particular setting, I had to be sure that I wasn't the young African girl in that setting because it was a diversity tick that had, box that had to be ticked. Because remember, if you look um, at our history in the corporate world about 15 years ago to now, we were looking at projecting multinationals as having an African tick, an Asian tick, a lady tick. Somebody who is a bit younger take for the to group the to look, box. you know, to look seemingly diverse. And I never want to be in a box because I'm black or I'm African, or I'm a woman, or I'm in the age bracket of X to X. I don't want to be put on anything because of these criteria. I want to be there because by the grace of God I've earned it through hard work and through the promise of my potential. So when I heard the African young girl, the young African girl as label, I quickly corrected that I said, my name is Hazel. Call me by my name. Call me by my name. So you, you must be assertive to correct it when these things happen. You have to be. When have I, you always expressed verbally? Yes. And one of the things that I am very thankful for, especially my father, for teaching me is to speak up. Um, family of four girls. My my father was strong on giving respect, but expressing your 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 point of view. So he's very very strong even to date on showing respect and how you express yourself. But he listens to you, so it's always how you say it. And he would encourage us to say things. Um, if you were too quiet for some reason, my father would try to get information out of you. He'd help you to speak up because he thinks that you have to have a voice of your own. So it's important that you express what you have inside you again with respect, but say it as it is. Would you say to embarrass that person? No, but put it out there using the right body language, the right tone of voice, right eye contact, and say it as a matter of fact. Make your point. Assertiveness, not arrogance. I want to use this as a mentoring platform for many people who are starting out on their journey. When you mentioned volunteering, and I've stuck with that because it's been used, bandied about quite a bit. And some people say, listen, just the examples you give, you are in a multinational, there's a project, even if you're not sure there's money involved, just the prestige of being in a multinational project is enough reward to step out and participate. Here is a person who is not employed, who is looking for a job and being told, volunteer to help in a church, in an environment, in a club or society, it's not the same as a multinational project. Hazel, do the lessons of volunteering apply to everyday situations? They do. So the opportunities are endless. Multinational, yes, gives you a certain space in the corporate environment. 
church volunteering gives you a space in the church. So depends on the space you are stepping into, that volunteering opportunity will open doors. And that visibility could lead to opportunities in other places. Exactly. Let's talk about what you do for your pastime. Once on my, my long distance walks, I was doing that day 25 kilometers in the morning, started at dawn and striding in our, our walking base. I tell you, right there, you were riding away, and I called you later to find out you were doing twice the distance I was doing. You were doing 50k that day. Tell me about keeping fit and walking and how it fits into your corporate plan. It's been, it's been one gospel I like to preach all over the world. The balanced life. Corporate life is stressful. Getting profitability, returns, KPIs, improved performance over last year in any form, shape, any form of imagination is challenging. If you're not physically fit, I can promise you will break down at some point. Blood pressure, um, migraines, insomnia, and I've battled with all these three. Blood pressure, constant headaches, sleepless nights. I've battled with these. And I'm still personally? in my journey. Personally, yes. My blood pressure, blood pressure was swing from hypo to hyper. Sleepless nights, constant headaches, popping paracetamol in my mouth like chewing gum. Is, is it difficult to climb the corporate ladder? It is. So why do you want to climb it? <laughs> Self-actualization. Self-actualization unleashing potential, stretching yourself to do other things. Of course, hopefully more remuneration. Which you need. Which you all need. Let me sign off by asking you about, about this book. And I'm going to ask you only one question from this book. <laughs> all that you said is for the book, but there's one question that I, I, I... How do you choose the name Winning in the Jungle? Is the corporate life a jungle? Life is a jungle, not just corporate life. So if, if you've read that book, anybody who's read that book, I use both personal and corporate examples. My examples and what I was observing, everything in that book is true. There is no fiction in that book. Is the reason I'm asking you these tough questions because everything it's, in it's there speaking is true. To things that people are asking in their day-to-day journey. Everything so in there is true. I'm interested in the word jungle. You actually show is a lion and a tiger. You just show two very ferocious. When I went to South Africa, they had a top five, and these two are featuring the top five of the wildest animals. I mean, tell me about it. So it's not easy. You'd have elephants in the jungle. You have big players, you know, in corporate space, whether it's competition or even internally, you'd have big people to deal with, very wild people, very super people. So you have a jungle of a variety of personalities. And you have a jungle of variety of positions and complexities. So winning in the jungle means how do you navigate all those complexities and still win in your space and grow? On the cover of the book, the, the target is actually literally having a winning moment over the lion, and that's quite rare. The lion is the king of the jungle. So how do you master your own space and still lead in your own space and have authority in your own space? I always use the janitor as my favorite example. The janitor who's managing the toilets. Right. He's the king of that space. So even the CEO cannot come and mess the jungle off the janitor's space. So the janitor insists on Keeping the, clay, the place clean when you use it, flush after you've used it. So even the CEO cannot go and mess and expect the janitor to clean a mess that was avoid, avoidable. So what about space you occupy hierarchically? Win and lead and have authority in that jungle. But it's time, it's time to know your own space. Yes. 
I want to tell you my favorite lesson. So if you just joined us, this is Springboard in Virtual University. And this hour has been spent with Dr. Hazel Bird. And we're helping us to understand in the first part, her own engine room. In the second part, I told you I was looking forward to part two, <laughs> the corporate engine room and the big lessons that we often do not we take for granted at great cost to ourselves. Hazel, it's a difficult um, project trying to select top lessons from what has obviously been an hour ridden with bullets, but <laughs> let me tell you the ones I chose for very good reason. Lesson number one is about appreciating diverse exposures. Appreciating diverse exposures. And you, learned, you talked about your lessons from BAT, your lessons from Nestle, your lessons, you, le- you listed every organization and you were gracious enough to mention a lesson learned from each one. The second one is about adaptation. Sometimes you succeed in a particular environment, you need to do extra courses that are tied to that industry. You mentioned having to do a diploma, an advanced diploma in insurance concurrently to become a chartered insurer and the bet with your boss that you could do it or you couldn't do it. Third one is about ownership. I love the point um, from your example in Guinness about ownership. Owning your function and creating a happy environment while delivering your KPIs. That was sweet. The fourth is about a balance sheet. Before you see any place that you worked at as a challenge or a problematic place, think about the blessings and learnings. And when you create the balance sheet, you'll be thankful. The fifth is about volunteering. Probably the biggest subject we've talked about today in terms of spending time on it. You said, take a keen interest in diverse projects in cross-functional areas to give you access, visibility, and then also networks. The sixth is about the power of apology. You see, it, it disarms even the, the policeman <laughs> or, the, or the biggest predator in the jungle. The seventh is about the golden triangle, finding the balance between marriage, career, and children. And you spend time helping us to appreciate your own divorce, the learnings and the benefits to people who are listening about how to find the right balance between these three important parts of our lives. The eighth is about engaging people. Be bold but respectful. Your verbal communication, keep eye contact. And you see, interviews are often not about the technical ability, but about the soft skills and about how you engage. The ninth is about executive grooming. The disqualifiers, that could be a barrier in your quest to climb to the top. You mentioned halitosis, you mentioned um, table manners, grooming, hygiene factors, etc. And the last one is about influence peddling. You see, it is real. They are godfathers and grandfathers. But if you find yourself in a position where pressure is being brought to bear on you, stand your ground and maintain your integrity. The overarching lesson you close us with is about balance. Live a balanced life. Pay attention to yourself and ensure that you stay alive to keep climbing the ladder. Awesome. Hazel, I want to say a big thank you to you for making time to be with us. And for all of you listening out there, you know the, you know the, 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 the rule. Let's have this big debate on social media. Which of these 10 points plus one bonus is the real deal for you? Which one got you saying <laughs> and thinking about your own situation? Let's have that conversation. And who knows? If you, if you are the most engaging person on my Facebook page, the most engaging person in this debate on my Facebook page about Dr. Hazel Barrett's top 10 lessons, I'm going to send you a copy of this book. I will pay for it. I insist on paying for books I buy from my friends because they must get money for their books. So I went to the launch 
and I bought my copy, but I'm going to buy one and send it to you. Just when I engage you and tell you you are the winner, I'm going to send you a copy of this book, Winning the Jungle, Understanding Self, Others, and Excelling from a Place of Commonality and Complexity. It's been a common but complex interview. Here's your closing thoughts in a minute. Stand. Regardless of life's challenges, just keep on standing. Keep faith. And I have come to the point of really encouraging people to really step up when it comes to their Christian life. It's been my anchor. And when you slip in your Christian journey, get up, rise, continue on your Christian walk. And every other thing, career, business, whatever you pursue in family life, will fall into place. Stand on your ankle. Thank you. What a beautiful ending. Thank you very much, Dr. Hazel Beradamwa, for being our guest today in the engine room. Thank you. For having and to me. all of you who made time to join us today, I want to say a big thank you for your patronage and your continued involvement and engagement in the engine room. Today we went into the piston rings and the corners of the engine room. What a beautiful time we've had. Join this discussion on social media and go to my YouTube page, Albert Okran, and watch all the 11 editions so far in the aging room. And let's find out and subscribe to the channel while you are there. But on behalf of Team Springboard, led by Comfort and our partners, the multimedia group running this on their various platforms, as well as our sponsors, MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, and UND Bank, my name is Albert Okran, saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. Turn it.